Good morning. My name's Tim. I I serve here as teaching pastor, and we get to explore scripture together, and that's that's a real, it's fun. It's a privilege. Uh, we uh, we're still in a series going through. The book of Acts, we've been in it for quite a while now, we're going to continue being in it for a while. Uh, but before we get to our text in Acts this morning, I want to, I want to share with you an author that I enjoy. Um, has anybody read stuff by George MacDonald before? A few hands? Yeah, George MacDonald. He he's, writes in a variety of genres. I've really enjoyed his fairy tales. He wrote in the 1800s. C.S. Lewis later on called him my master. Um, uh, MacDonald, just wonderful uh, fairy tales. Uh, the Princess and the Goblin, Princess and Curdy, The Golden Key. Uh, and the one I was going to talk about this morning is called The Light Princess. It was published in 1864. I want to tell you kind of how The Light Princess goes. So... Uh, the story begins, and it's a bit, it's kind of like uh, Sleeping Beauty this way. There's a king and queen who have a, they have a daughter, a princess, and it's their only child. And they, uh, they're going to have a christening of their daughter. And they invite, you know, all the kingdom. And uh, now the king forgets to invite his sister. His sister's name is Lady Makemnoint, who also happens to be an evil sorceress. And which I think... Make them annoying. That's kind of a good name for evil sorceress. I kind of weird. If that's your name, I'm sorry. And um, so, so she doesn't get invited, and she's upset by this. So she shows up uninvited to the christening. And apparently, like the uh, the you know the curse of you know the curse of sleep when you touch the spindle needle that is all out or something. So they get she gives this curse. She curses the princess to a loss of gravity. Literally, she floats around like a balloon. She, this, the, well, that's why they call it the light princess. She's, you know, floating around. So the, 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 the princess, um, the, she has this curse of loss, weightlessness. So uh, physically, she has no gravity, but also metaphorically in her personality, she, she can't take anything serious. Life is a joke. People are a joke. Everything is a joke to her. She has no gravity, which is, of course, kind of a rabbit trailer. McDonald is tapping into a very biblical theme here, uh, a biblical theme of, we can't, we can't express true joy, we can't express true celebration unless we lament well. Unless we grieve truly, we can't, have, we can't celebrate truly. And of course, you know, Carlo wrote that, uh, that lament song that we sung together um, this morning, and I, thought, I just thought that was one of very biblical, because that's those things, they go together. Um, so it's not a fake joy or a fake celebration. But anyways, so uh, McDonald said, the, there's this, and the, the princess, she's weightless, she's the light princess floating around and um so time goes on uh she grows to be a teenager you know always got a rope around her and they like, don't let her float away and uh, they're out in a boat one day and she uh she gets out of the boat and falls into the water not really falls because she but floats into the water and and lo and behold she loves being in the water and when she's in the water, she has her physical gravity back. She doesn't kind of float out. She stays in the water. And she finds, she loves to swim. And it just brings her so much life. And she, she has her physical gravity. So she's swimming around and just having a great time. And so they, um, she spends most of her waking hours in the lake. There's a lake by the castle. And so that's where she's at. And so uh, the king and queen, their advisors, they come to believe that uh, somehow the water is, is key to unlocking this curse. And so they come to believe that if she is able to cry, of course, she can't cry now because she doesn't take anything serious if she were able to cry that would that would break the curse so uh time goes on and it being a fairy tale she's swimming around eventually a prince comes along and a prince from a faraway land you know he's riding along dunk, dunk, and uh and and sees 
the princess swimming and, and making all this noise in the water. And, uh, and she was laughing and swimming. He, she, he thought she was drowning, um, which I guess that's the kind of swimmer she was. I think that happens with me. That's the kind of swimmer I am. But, um, but no, she, she's swimming. So he dives in, gets her, takes her out of the lake. And he's like, I saved you. And she's like, no, you interrupted my swimming. And um, so she's like, throw me back in. And he, but he can't because she just float away. So she's like, grab onto me and jump in. So on, they're on this 30-foot cliff. And he grabs on and they jump into the lake together. And she just thinks it's the funnest thing in the world. And they're like, oh, let's do this again. So the, they end up spending all this time together. The prince falls in love with the princess. But the princess finds him as a handy weight for jumping into the water because she couldn't jump in the water otherwise she just float away so now she can jump in so she got her princess prince weight that she uses so they they the time goes on and she's having all this fun and lady make noit finds out about this and this does not make her happy she does not want the princess having all this joyous life so lady make noit uh, casts a curse to drain all the water out of the lake and to stop up the sky so there's no rain whatsoever. So the lake begins to drain. Well, at this point, the princess, her life has gotten so intertwined with the lake, it's bring, so much of her life is bound up with it, that it's like she begins to drain away. She gets listless and depressed. And, and it comes to the point where they think she's going to die. If the lake drains all the way, they think she's going to die. And the lake is getting lower and lower and lower, and she can't even swim it and splash around in it anymore. One day, the king's advisors are out. They're, looking, they're surveying the lake, and they find... A golden tablet that's been revealed as the lake drained away. There was a golden tablet at the bottom of the lake. Now, it being a fairy tale, they just read the tablet. Nobody says, where did this tablet come from? And why this? But they, they, so they read the tablet. And this is what the tablet says. Um, I think we, yeah, here we go. There's a poem on one side. Death alone from death can save. Love is death and so is brave. Love can fill the deepest grave. Love loves on beneath the wave. Well, they, they think, uh, what, you know, with this poem, what does it mean? It seems important. Uh, and they don't, they don't know what it means. Well, they flip it over, and fortunately, there's an explanation on the back. And they, uh, they read the explanation, and, um, and it says, okay, if this lake were ever to drain because of evil magic, which is a handy tablet to have there, if it were to ever drain... The way you cannot stop it by any ordinary means. The only way you can stop it is if a, if a person, a willing volunteer, were to cast themselves into the drain where the water is draining out of, if they would do that willingly, that will stop the lake from draining. But as the lake refills, that person will drown. So... This is announced throughout the kingdom. The only way we can save the princess, the only way we can save the kingdom is somebody volunteers to do this. Who will volunteer to do this? Well, the prince, who has fallen in love with the princess, says, I will throw myself into the drain. I will save the kingdom and the princess. But the one thing I ask is that the princess would be the last person I see. So I ask that she comes out in a boat and is out with me while I do this. Okay. 
So they go out, you know, go out. Now it's just kind of a, a kind of a little pond out there. It's not very deep. So he, he, you know, I don't know how that works. He jumps in the drain, and uh, and the and the princess is right there in a the boat. And of course, she still doesn't have any pers- metaphorical gravity or personality gravity. So she can't take it seriously. So he's like, Princess, I, you know, I love you, and that you will be the last thing I ever see. And she's like, Do you have any snacks in the boat? Or how much longer is this going to take? Because I think I might take a nap, and because um, she doesn't have any gravity. And um, and finally, uh, the water is filling and filling and filling and filling because he's plugged it out now, and, uh, and it goes over his head, and he breathes his last. And at that moment, it's like something, it's something, something changes in the princess, and she realizes he's dying, and she dives into the water, and she grabs him and pulls him into the boat, and she frantically uh, take, you know, rows the boat over to shore and takes him inside, and she, you know, she's like, oh, I can't believe he did this. He loved me. He was gonna, he was dying for me, and he, and then he takes a breath, and he's still alive, and she starts weeping and weeping and weeping. I can't believe he was dying for me, and the, and the lake continues to fill, and the rain falls down the kingdom, and rainbows come out, and they fall in love, and she has her gravity back physically and metaphorically. They get married, and they all live happily ever after. This morning, uh, this morning, I want to talk some about the theme of grace. Grace. God's uh, gracious rescue of us. In, through his son, Jesus the Messiah. This undeserved, unearned, unmerited rescue. The way God rescues us through his son. And I want to talk about grace uh, for a little bit, and then we're going to head in to take communion together, this act of remembering God's gracious rescue of us. And I want to do that this morning for a couple of reasons. One, I want to talk about grace. Uh, you know, in our church, there's often there's uh, folks who will be uh, in our community who aren't yet followers of Jesus, who wouldn't say they're they're following Jesus, they wouldn't call themselves Christians, and we are we are glad um, that you are with us. You're checking out what this Jesus is all about. But one thing I really hope for is that any person um, who's checking out what Jesus is about, they would understand. That it begins and continues and ends. It's all built on grace. I would hope that if you're exploring, what is this Christianity thing about? You would understand it's not about what we do. That fundamentally, it is about what God has done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This gracious rescue of us. That's one reason I want to talk about grace this morning. The second reason I want to talk about grace is I think for those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, and I know this happens in my own heart, that over time there can be this drift, this drift towards uh, thinking that we need to earn points with God or do certain things to make God like us, a drift away from grace. And I want all of us this morning to be reminded again of the gracious rescue that God has done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that 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 grace demonstrated in real history in the sacrifice of Jesus, that is meant to be the joy and the power of our lives with God. It's meant to be the the driving motivation of our lives. And so I want to remind us, not just in our heart, not just in our heads, but hopefully in our hearts this morning, to come back to it again. 
So we're gonna, the text we're going to look at this morning uh, is going to be from Acts, and we'll be in Acts chapter 13. Acts, if you're looking in your Bibles, it's way to the right. It's after John, and it's before Romans. And, and by way of reminder, Acts is the story, it's the, the accounting, not a fairy tale, it's history of... Um, of the early Jesus movement, the early church. Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, and now this uh, Jesus movement is spreading throughout the Roman Empire. And we're coming to a part in the story where uh, there's these two characters, um, Saul or Paul and Barnabas, and they're going out on these journeys telling people about Jesus. And what we're going to read here in a moment is... um, Paul and Barnabas, they've come to the city, city in Antioch, and they're at a synagogue, and they've been retelling the story of God's work in history, particularly through the nation of Israel, and all God's gracious acts of rescue towards them, and how it's all been building towards this moment when Jesus came down, God's Son came down, his death and resurrection, and how that is the rescuing moment for all humankind. And Paul's been explaining this, and now he's, gonna, he's kind of coming to the punchline, the point of everything he's been talking about. And we're going to read that together now. And this is what Paul says it has all been building towards. Uh, so starting in chapter 13, verse 38, he says this, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So he says a few things there. He says, uh, and I think we have a slide with this. He says that through Jesus, there's forgiveness, there's freedom from every sin, and there's justification. And these are th- really three different ways of saying of, a, of, of a saying the same type of idea. Forgiveness. It, through Jesus, there's forgiveness. There's the, in his death and resurrection, that, that, uh, that is the forgiveness of God towards us. You can think about it this way. Um, uh, if, say say I, borrow, I borrowed your guitar this week, Carlo, and I took it home, and I wouldn't totally know what to do with it, but I had it around, and say I accidentally stepped on the guitar. Now, I could bring it back to him, and I could say, Carlo, I'm sorry, you're guitar has an extra hole in it now and um he could say i forgive you but for him to do that there would be a cost because it costs him he's still gonna have to replace his guitar he's still out of guitar there's a cost associated with that forgiveness the cross of christ is the cost to god of forgiving us god through jesus we are forgiven we're forgiven Paul says, we're forgiven, and in another way, he says, we're also, there's freedom from every sin, that in that forgiveness, we're freed from the way that, that sin is, has a, shackles us, or ties us up, or binds us down. Sin, biblically, sin is this idea that, um, that every man and woman has decided to make something other than God the center of our lives, and that when we make something other than God the center of our lives, it results in us hurting ourselves, hurting those around us hurting this world God has put us in. And uh, God says, I want to deal with that. I want to set you free from that. And through my forgiveness, you can have freedom from that, a different way of living. But it's not you doing it on your own. It's me, allow, you allowing me to rescue you from that. So forgiveness, room for sins. And then finally, justification. He says, now you can be justified. 
Justified is a term, it's a technical term from the law court, uh, the courtroom um, in the, uh, Paul's day. And uh, to be justified meant if you were on trial, to be justified would be to be acquitted or to be declared innocent or to be found in the right. So Paul's saying because of Jesus, because of the forgiveness, you can now in the cosmic courtroom, now you will be acquitted, you'll be found innocent. Because of what Jesus has done for us. So this idea, this, this, great, this gracious rescue, forgiveness, freedom from sin, just justification. And this, this, is at the, this is at the core of how we are meant to relate to God and how we relate to ourselves. That it changes, when we live into this reality, it changes how we see and interact with God and how we see ourselves. It changes. It's a very different way of seeing things. It changes how we see God. It changes how we see God. Let me, let me just kind of talk about that, how it changes we see God. I think naturally, many of us kind of, in our, I know for myself, in our natural inclination, the way we naturally want to relate to God is this. I do good, and it pleases God. Do good stuff, he'll be happy with me. So you do good stuff, you know, tell the truth, follow the commandments, have perfect attendance at church, give the right amount of money, do, read the right books, memorize the right thing, then God will be happy. Do good to please God. That is religion. And it can be it can be a, it can be overtly religious, but it could also be there's also secular versions of this same thing. This kind of do good to be right that, that you know eat organic, drive electric, talk PC, and then you're right. Somehow you're right. You do it enough perfectly, then you'll be right. Do good to please God. That is religion. The good news of Jesus is different. The good news of Jesus is we mess up good. God rescues us. So trust him. Over here, this is about what we do. This is about what God has done for us. This is about earning. This is about receiving. We mess up good. Let's, let's just be honest about the fact that we, we mess these things up. We don't always get it right. We don't always do the right thing. We, we, we leave good things undone and we, do, we make wrong choices and think wrong. But God meets us in that and rescues us in that. I see this, you know, uh, I've, uh, I have daughters and I often, you know, we're, we're trying to find books for them to read and looking for, you know, um, Jesus-type literature, Christian literature for them, books. And um, you see that kind of this religious mindset slipping into um, some of the kids' books, Christian kids' books. I'll see this sometimes. So you'll read things like, God likes little boys and girls that tell the truth. God loves the little boys and girls that obey their parents. God is happy with the little boys and girls that think kind thoughts. And if you read those things, you should turn to your children and say, that is baloney. <laughs> that is religion. That is trying to earn God points. I do it good enough and then God will be happy with me. That is not the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that little boys and girls don't always tell the truth. And they don't always think kind thoughts. And they don't always obey their parents. And Jesus meets them in that and rescues them and forgives them and loves them in spite of that. And says, I still love you. I forgive you and I've paid the price for you. 
And it's learning to then, we, we do those things not because we think it'll earn points with God, it'll make him like us. We do those things because we trust him. It's God, you've rescued me. I am thankful. I trust you with my words. I trust when you say telling the truth is the best way. I'm going to tell the truth not because I think, you know, I'm, not, I'm trying to earn points. I trust that when you say that's the best way to live, I trust you, God. I trust you, God, when you say think, when you, kind thinking, thinking well of others is the best way to live. I trust You've rescued me. I've messed it up and you've rescued me. You've forgiven me. I trust you. I'm going to walk in that trust. I'm going to trust you with my thoughts. And it's not about earning points with God. It's about living a life of gratitude, of thankfulness. Religion, do good to please God. Good news of Jesus, we mess up good. God rescues us. And so we can trust him. It changes the way we relate to God. It changes the way we relate to ourselves. It's, very, it's a similar idea, but it changes the way we see ourselves. The, kind of this kind of the earning religious mindset um, when we see ourselves is something like this. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. But the good news of Jesus is I'm accepted, therefore I obey. It flips it around. In the I obey, I'm, therefore I'm accepting this mindset. If it's religious, it's like you know, if I follow all the commandments, if I memorize the stuff, if I, have, you know, if I go to all the right meetings, read the right book, then God will like me. He will accept me. And there's also, similarly, there's a secular version of this as, as well. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. So the secular version is like if I'm thin enough, I work hard enough, I get the right job, I get paid enough, I get the good grades, I win enough, then I'm acceptable. Then I'll have esteem, value, I'll be looked well on. Yeah, I obey or I do right, then therefore. I'm accepted. And the good news of Jesus says that is not how it works. The good news of Jesus says you are accepted, you are forgiven, you are rescued, you are loved. And it's out of that place, therefore I obey. That our value doesn't, our value doesn't reside in did we do enough, did we do good enough? Our value resides from being loved. I'm accepted. Therefore, obey. Our lives become thank you letters to the one who has rescued us. Changes our motivations in relation to ourselves. If we try to live out of this, I obey, therefore I'm accepted um, kind of religious mindset, the motivations there will always be fear and pride. If you live at a place where I obey, I do the right things, I do the honorable thing, therefore I'm acceptable, you'll be motivated by fear and pride. Because fear, the fear is, if I don't do it well enough, if I don't do the right things, if I don't do it perfectly, if I mess up, the fear is, then I won't be acceptable. Then I won't be acceptable to myself, to God, to others. But if you live out of the place of the good news of Jesus, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. The motivations of that place are joy and thankfulness. I am accepted, therefore I obey. We live out of that place. It's the joy. God has rescued us. He has done it. Can you believe it? Look what he's done for He's given his life for us. And living out of a place of thank you. I want my life to be a thank you to you, God. Not because I think I can earn enough points, but because I, I simply want to say thank you. And I know that I'm going to get it wrong again. And I know you've already rescued me. You've already forgiven me. You've already freed me from that. 
And so these two different ways, motivated ways, do we live, are we motivated by fear and pride? Or do we live out of grace, out of forgiveness, and are we motivated by joy and thanksgiving? That's, and the thing is, that's what, he, that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to have a kind of joy and gratitude in your life that allows you a sense of inner freedom and freedom with others and freedom with him. That is what he desires for you. He doesn't desire for you a sense of fear that you're not going to get it right. You're not going to, you're not going to, he doesn't want that fear. And he doesn't want the kind of pride that I did it all on my own. Look at me. I achieved it. He doesn't want those things for you. He wants the life that is truly life for you. So if we had to kind of summarize it, if we had to pull it together, I'd say it this way, that, um, that the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus is life, death, and resurrection is, is about God through his son Jesus expressing his grace, his mercy, his rescue for all humankind, for all who would accept it. That he wants to forgive us, he wants to free us from our sins, he wants to declare us right in the courtroom of the universe, but we have to embrace that. He, desires, he wants to offer that to us, and if we embrace it, we can live out of this place of joy and thanksgiving and trust for him. That is what he desires for us. And so this morning, I guess, we're going to head into communion here in a moment, and this would be the question that I would encourage us to reflect on. What is, what is your response to the forgiving rescue of Jesus? What's your response? How do you, how do you find, what do you find yourself thinking or feeling about that? Do you, I wonder, um, I mean, I know in this room there's some of us that aren't yet followers of Jesus. And if you're here and that's where you're at, I would encourage you, uh, maybe for the next 15 minutes as we continue in worship this morning, I would encourage you to, to, to ask yourself, what if, what if this is true? What if this sacrificial love is at the heart of all reality? What if this kind of forgiving love truly describes ultimate reality? What if, what if the, the cross and resurrection of Jesus describes what is most real about God? What if that describes the world? And you just, for the next 15 minutes, imagine a world like that. And for those of us for those of us who do call ourselves Christians, who have been walking with Jesus, what is our response? What is our response? Because this, this reality, the, the, the gracious rescue of us in Jesus, I know for myself, a lot of times I can, I've heard this story over and over again. I've told this story. And it can be one of those things that's in my head, but it ceases to stir my heart. I cease to feel it. And I would encourage us, I want to ask myself about that this morning, because this ought to stir us. We ought to feel this. If someone has given their life to rescue us from eternal death, we ought to feel that. And so uh, this morning, if you, if you think to yourself, Tim, I just, you know, I've heard this so many times, I just don't, I believe it in my head, but I'm just not feeling it. I would encourage you just to take some time and to sit with it. 
You don't try to make yourself feel something different. But we, need, we do need, it needs to move from our head to our hearts. And so just sit, just talk to God about, God, you've done this. Will you remind me, God? Would you remind me? Would you help me feel this again for the first time? What is our response to the forgiving rescue of Jesus? We're going to head into communion now. And communion, uh, it's very appropriate because communion is the outward physical symbol of this inner spiritual reality. It's this, this, this uh, the bread represents Christ's body broken for us and the cup represents his blood shed for us. And so it, it is a picture, it's a reenacting, a remembering of the rescuing death of Jesus for us on our behalf. And so it's a place where we again encounter the grace of God. And I think, I think uh, the reason I told that story of uh, the light princess at the beginning, I think that really captures the, the, the picture of how God has rescued us in Jesus. Jesus, the great prince of the universe, comes riding by and sees us in trouble. And he doesn't just leave us. But when the, when the lake is draining, um, can we actually, can we bring that poem back up? Death alone from death can save. That it's, that it's uh, we, uh, if left to our own devices, we were dying. Dying in our own sins. Um, dying a physical death. And Jesus says, I will take that upon myself. I will jump into the drain of the universe in order to rescue you. Love is death and so is brave. Jesus says, my love is, my love is death. My love is a sacrificial love. That Jesus' love for us, it's not just an abstract kind of, uh, an, uh, he demonstrates it in history. His love is demonstrated in his sacrifice on the cross. Love can fill the deepest grave. That Jesus, that his sacrificial love, it fully feels, fills up, it fully takes care of the problem of sin and death and evil in our lives and in our world. And love loves on beneath the waves. That ultimately, the love of Jesus is not defeated in this sacrifice and in this death. But death itself dies. He is resurrected to continue to be with us even today.